we kicked off a brand new series called The Seven Deadly Sins. Now, there's nothing new about this particular series because series like these of The Seven Deadly Sins, they've been preached in churches as far back in the fourth century when desert monks, they try to find a way to systematize sin in order to help believers, help us to live life in greater freedom. So today, we're starting with the sin of sloth, okay? I was thinking about starting with the sin of gluttony, but that might just hit a little too close to home, right? Especially this past weekend. Now, what is sloth? It's not like a word that we, we use too much today. Um, in the Bible, in your NIV, they'll use the term sluggard, all right? But what is sloth? So just a couple of basic things, okay? Sloth is persistent laziness. Sloth isn't just laziness or a person is just like, I'm being lazy at the moment, okay? But you, that needs to be differentiated by an understanding of persistent laziness. So this is something ongoing, regular. It's persistent laziness. Second, it's also the desire for ease, for comfort, at the expense of anyone or anything. Now, I just think that can be pretty, you know, like in your face. Like, I'm just going to be, have, I'm just concerned about my own comfort. I'm concerned about my own ease at the expense of another person or anything else going on in my life. I just don't want to get involved, right? And now at its worst, so this is a person who's been slothful for a while. It might be months, maybe even years. At its worst, sloth is the contempt for any kind of striving towards success or excellence by others or even oneself. So what happens with sloth is it, it turns from this desire just for like rest, right? And if you expand this and you go over time, over months, over years, it actually turns into a deep-rooted cynicism, a deep-rooted judgment where you actually have contempt for any other person. When you see another person striving, when you see another person working, when you see another person wanting to do good or make something greater, have some time of success in life, you actually have contempt for that person. You even have contempt for yourself if you were to try something. So now you can see why the early church fathers, why they identified this as one of the seven deadly, one of the seven, seven core sins that birth other sins. Because the sin of sloth prevents you from accomplishing any good, right? If, if your MO, if your desire is just to have ease, if your desire for this life is just to have comfort, you're not going to expend any energy. You're not going to take any risk. You're not going to risk any discomfort in order to do something good. Because a lot of times, in order to do something good, it actually takes risk on your part. So sloth prevents you from accomplishing good, especially the will of God. That's why it's one of the seven deadly sins. Now, finding a place where the Bible just talks about sluggardness or slothness is sometimes difficult to find. If you look in the Old Testament narratives, you're not going to find that much. If you look in the New Testament narratives, some of the teachings you'll find. But if you look in the Old Testament wisdom literature, specifically in the book of Proverbs, you're going to find a density, a lot, on sloth and also its antidote, which I'll tell you later. So if sloth is something like already, like I've already defined it, it's persistent laziness, right? It's the, um, you know, ease, uh, you know, without any other, um, at the expense of anyone or anything. It's contempt for any kind of striving towards success. If that's already, you already resonate, like, oh, that's me, that's me, right? Then Proverbs is the book for you, all right? You want to start reading through that book, 
and seeing where it all talks about Saul. And so we're going to take a look at a particular passage in Proverbs where King Solomon, right, one of the wisest teachers ever, ever, uh, who ever lived, he made this very discerning statement, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. And uh, he goes like this. He says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who had no sense. So if we just take this letter, he's saying, I decided one day I was going to go for a walk. And I decided to go walk by the house of someone that I knew was lazy, right? This person I knew, they, they were lazy. And here is what I saw, verse 31. Thorns had come up everywhere, and the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruin. So he's looking, he's seeing that everything that was supposed to bring the homeowner, for example, a source of income, a source of security. He had a field. Maybe they were supposed to uh, plant wheat. Uh, maybe it was a vineyard, and thorns had, and weeds had crum, come up. There was a stone uh, wall. Maybe it was to protect from predators. Maybe it was part of his house. That was broken down. It was in ruins. So everything that was supposed to bring him income, comfort, and protection, none of those things were longer being utilized. It was all crumbling down. And then verse 32, this is a good verse. He says, I applied my heart to what I observed and heard and learned a lesson from what I saw. By the way, this is what wise people do. This is what discerning people do. They look at a situation, they see where that, that's not right. That, that's not healthy. There's sin there, there's consequences there. And they don't just like pass it by and say, oh, that's just human nature or, you know, oh, well, things happen and things happen. And no, they actually stop and they say, why did that happen? They, they try to understand and apply themselves to why did calamity uh, befall this particular situation. So he applied his heart to, and to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. Here it is, verse 33. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. Now, you just get that, right? I just love that. It just makes me want to fall asleep, actually, right, when I hear, when I hear that. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And the wisdom of Solomon already is that, is that sloth, the sluggardness, it appears so slowly. And this is true of all of the seven deadly sins. Sloth, the reason why it's so deceptive is because it never starts out as sin. Like if you just have a moment of sloth, a moment of neglect, that's not sin, right? It's just a moment of neglect. We all do. Like uh, we say things like, I'll do my homework later, right? Um, I'll exercise later. I'll study later. I'll, uh, I'll call him back later. I'll schedule another meeting later. I'll take a little break. I'll go to church next Sunday. I'll go to small group next time. Nothing sinful, right? It's just a moment of neglect that we all do. And then verse 34, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And so he says the end result of slothness, of, of, of slothness, of laziness over time, over time, is you're going to lose, suddenly lose, something that you hold most dear is going to be taken away. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But here's what's really interesting about this particular observation that the wisest person in the world has. Is he's talking about a lazy person, right, who's actually a landowner. Now, back in these ancient times, to be a landowner, right, probably took a lot of work to actually get there. All right? It means that this particular person that he's talking about, whose house is all messed up, who's all crumbled down, 
It, it means that at one time, this person was hardworking. They were persistent. They were such a good steward of everything that God had given them. They had something to show for all the work that they've done in this world, just like many of you. So they had these strong walls that kept out predators, now out of gaping holes. These beautiful vineyards or these beautiful, you know, fields of wheat. You know, at one time they were so fruitful, but now it's just filled with weeds and, and thorns. And so over time, he neglected these little yet essential responsibilities, and it ruined what he had worked so hard to build. And the question, right, the question that we need to ask and the question that is inviting the readers to ask when you read this particular passage is, what happened? What happened to this guy? What happened to this woman? What happened to this household when they had so much and now it was all wasted away. And so there's some couple of things that I think we can talk about of how this, this happened. One of the reasons for sloth, okay, is just persistent laziness. There's no excuse for it. There's no excuse for it. One of the reasons for people going to sloth is they're just lazy, right? And it's usually what I've seen. It's usually centered around a lazy person's inability to accept two things. Right? So number one is that almost everything has a tendency to deteriorate. Almost everything in life has a tendency to deteriorate. Therefore, maintenance is required. Houses, they get old. Wood decays. Shingles fall off. Your lawn, I mean, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, right? Your lawn, the lawn is so difficult to upkeep. There's moss that grows everywhere, fungus and things like that. I mean, who here actually weeds their own lawn? Who, who does that? Does yard work and maintains? Like, nobody, right? Right? So, you either, you know, either your lawn is really bad, right? It's covered with weeds, you understand, or you have, you pay someone else to do it, right? And it's beautiful. You pay someone else to do it. But here's the thing, is that if you don't maintain it, it will break down. Technology breaks down. Cars break down. Bikes break down. Our bodies Right? We know that our bodies break down. Now, here, in this section here, you guys are all young. You're like, bodies break down? What? My body's like, I'm, I'm a body of God, man. You guys are all like, yeah, my body's good, right? But then there's the rest of us, right, who it's kind of like, I just can't do the things that I used to be able to do, right? And it's just so hard. You know, my metabolism just used to be like on fire. You know, I could eat, you know, all you could eat, and I would just, you know, run them out of business and, and things like that. But now it's like, you know, it's just so hard. Everything begins to break down. And here's the thing, right, is that even, even, listen, even relationships can deteriorate, right? Your small group. You know why the reason you're CG, you have times of like, it's so good, like you love being with these people, and there's sometimes where you're like, why am I even going, right? And the reason why those things times happen is because it's about how much you put into it, because every relationship can get into a rut. For example, husband and wife, right? Husband and wife relationships, they, they notorious for getting into a rut. Why? Because, well, we just assume, right, that, you know, they know that we love each other, you know, we just, we just kind of have our own particular ways of, of doing things. We just don't talk that much anymore, and it's okay, it works out for us. You know, we just get into a rut. Even relationships require regular maintenance, and some people, right, they just neglect their responsibilities over time. You have no excuse. I have no excuse. There's no excuse. And what it says is that poverty will come on you like a bandit, meaning that that relationship or the thing that we once held value or had value for us, because we neglected it, 
it will have lost its value. Not that it's not valuable anymore, but that relationship that once brought us joy, once brought value to like who we are and, and how we enjoyed life, it does not produce that same type of value because we neglected it. Second reason that I think lazy people, right, there's no excuse, is that the inability to accept the, sec the second thing is that any life worth living, anything truly successful, it requires work and energy. And, and sometimes we get this, but sometimes we get really confused. You know, if, if you're like a really good piano player, the reason you're a really good piano player is because you had the work and energy because, you know, you did the scales and you had hours and hours of practice. And, and sometimes we think that life is supposed to be easy. Like, I'm just supposed to be the next, you know, Zuckerberg. You know, I'm just going to work a little bit, work a little bit hard, and it's just going to happen to me. You know, we, we just think that life, or if I just do the minimal, that good things will come to me. Anything in life that's worth doing and being successful at, it requires your work and energy. But there's just something. I don't know what it is. I think it's just immaturity. There's some people who think that I, if I just do the minimum at work, if I can just do the minimum in my marriage, if I could just do the minimum at school, if I could just do the minimum in my relationship with God, I will be just fine and good things will come my way. And that's just immaturity. No excuse. They don't want to accept that things in life deteriorate. And man, life in itself requires hard work if you want to do anything worth doing. Now, there are other situations where people it's not because just laziness. Where people are discouraged into sloth. People are discouraged into sloth. Maybe you worked hard for a company for many years, and one day they just let you go. You were laid off, and you're hurt. But that hurt, it turns into anger because it's two years later, and you still can't find a job. After the third year, you just, it's just resignation. You just give up. Why should I even try anymore, Right? I'll just go on welfare. Maybe you're in a marriage. Maybe you gave it all you got. It ended up in divorce. And so you're hurt. And maybe there was another marriage or another marriage, and then all of a sudden, you, know, you just kind of give up. You're just, you give up on love. Maybe you're a student, and you work so hard, and you're a solid C. And you wonder, why am I still doing this, right? I'm probably not going to use all this anyway. And we're taking all these student loans. It just doesn't seem worth it, and you neglect more and more of your responsibility and the weeds grow and the stone walls begin to break down the present the reason why people are so discouraged and soft is that the present can feel so discouraging that you just don't want to try anymore that's how people get in sloth now another way which might be a lot here of us here i don't know is that the the way that the twist of sloth is so deceptive is because busy people Busy people can be the greatest sloths. You know why busy people, I know it seems so weird. How can busy people be the greatest sloths? It's because there's some busy people who do not get the primary things done that they need to get done. All right? Let's say this. Let's say you go into the office 6 in the morning. That's pretty busy, right? If you're getting to the office 6 o'clock in the morning, that means you got something to do. Uh, you came with a purpose. And so you know that you've got this computer program you've got to write. Maybe you're a lawyer. You know you've got a document that you need to create. 
a memo you need to write. You've got a presentation to prepare. You've got a project timeline you need to create. You need to write a, a critical summary report or a memo. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, um, uh, things that you have to, uh, you know, show for, a report that you've got to write. Now, when you go to the office, you sit down, and you're ready to do these things. You got up at 6 in the morning in order to, to do your work, but you go to your office, you sit down, and you start checking your emails. And maybe then you check in on an employee that you supervise. Or then after that, you clean your desk. And after that, you organize your files, because your files really need to be organized, right? Uh, or you work on part of the project, but it's a tangential part of the project. Maybe it's a little more fun. After that, you know, you check Facebook, you know, then you go use the bathroom, and then you go get some coffee, and then maybe you play a video game. I don't know. But you work, right? You've worked all day. But you neglected to work on the primary thing because for some reason you didn't want to do the thing that needed to be done most because it was the least enjoyable thing to do. And so the next thing you know, it's 5 p.m., you're ready to go home, having done so much work for the day. You were so busy, but you never got the priority work done. And so now you spent a whole full day at work, eight hours at work, right? And you're still a full day behind. That means that you have to get up work the next day early again. No wonder you're so busy and so tired. And so when your spouse or friend asks you, hey, how's your day? How's work? And you can say with pride, oh, I was so busy today. I was so busy, right? And this is one of the great misperceptions of sloth, is that sloth is it's not an actual, it's not a lack of passion. People who are slothful have great passion. They are deeply passionate. They are deeply committed to their own comfort. And so they will do anything to protect their own comfort, their own ease. And they work hard and not letting any discomfort or dis-ease come their way. The reason a busy person is so slothful is because they fail to do what needs to be done, what it needs to be done. It's like the kamikaze pilot who keeps returning home from their mission. You'll get that later, all right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about sloth, okay? Is that sloth, it promises you rest. Sloth promises you rest, but it cannot hold up its end of the bargain. If you follow sloth, you will lose both the rest that you're trying, desperately trying to grasp on, and the bigger thing is that you're going to lose the peace that you are desperately seeking to find in your life. See, sloth says this, just a little, little break, just a little sleep, a little later, right? And then you'll feel so much better. See, here, and, and in the end, if you take that over the long haul, you're gonna lose both rest and peace. But, I'm, but even in the short run, a lot of you guys know this, a lot of you guys experience this. See, no one has ever said, I was feeling really tired today. And so at the end of the day, I went home and I watched Netflix and I did a binge on Netflix for like five hours or six hours. And then the next day, no one has ever said, I'm so glad I did that. Like, I feel so much better. I feel so rested. I feel so energized for life. No one has ever said that, right? If you feel really tired at the end of the day and the next day you say, you know what? I'm just going to shirk all my responsibilities. Uh, I'm not going to really take care of my kids. I'm going to eat everything in sight. No one has ever said, after I did that, the next day, I feel so much better. I'm so rejuvenated. I feel so good about myself. Like, no one has ever said that. It just doesn't happen. But you think you need that 
little rest. And you think you need that little break or that little vacation. Like, for some people, it's like, I, they just think, if I just had two weeks in Cabo, it would be good. If I just two weeks, two weeks in, you know, Fuji or Fiji or whatever it might be. If I just three weeks somewhere, you know, it would just be so much better. Look, if you desperately just probably need the two weeks or three weeks, that two weeks or three weeks is not going to cure it. You're going to come back and you're still going to be just as tired. It's not going to cure it. No one has ever said, right, if I just do this one little thing and just take this one little break, that I feel so much better. A lot of times when you do those things like the binge watch or, or whatever it might be, or just being completely neglectful of your responsibilities, you don't feel better. You feel worse. You don't feel more rested. You feel more tired. And, and, and for some of you who are in this cycle of sloth, you, you're, you're sinking. Like, yeah, this is, exactly, this is exactly where I am. This is what we struggle with. So what do we do? Well, what was really great is that the church fathers, they didn't just identify uh, the seven deadly sins, but they also marked out some pathways. All right? So I want to share with you five practical ways to resist sloth. Five practical ways to resist sloth. Some temptations you have to flee from. You need to remove yourself. But when it comes to sloth, um, this is one of those that you need to confront, that you need to resist. I know, this is like, it's, it's tough, but you need to expend energy. <laughs> you actually need to expend energy, positive energy. So, okay, number one, all right, how do we take the other path, uh, path towards redemption? Number one is to don't, don't accept your own excuses. Number one, don't accept your own excuses. Proverbs 26, 13 says, the lazy person claims there's a lion in the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. So it's just a person who has this particular excuse for not even getting outside, not even going outside, not going to work, not doing his responsibility. So I'm going to stay at home. So he makes up some crazy excuse. All right. So you have to figure out, we make a lot of excuses every day for not doing the primary thing. We make a lot of excuses for not doing the good thing that we know we should be doing. So if there's some mental gymnastics that keeps you from doing the right thing that you should be doing, you need to, to call it out, that excuse. Here's an example. And I'm not saying, you know, it's true all the time, but you ever, you ever come home from work and, and you have a gym membership, right? How many of you have a gym membership? All right, how many of you, okay, just be of you, okay? How many of you use your gym membership? Okay, it's another story. All right, now, fewer hands that time. Now, have you ever done this? You go home and you're dead dog tired, right? And you know you should go to the gym. But then you say, I'm too tired to go to the gym. Anyone have said that? Right? I'm too tired to go to the gym, right? But then have you ever gone to the gym anyway when you were too tired? Right? And then what happens? Right? After you go to the gym, you just feel so much better. You feel like you have all this energy, Right? And so what, it, what was it before? It was just an excuse, right? It was just an excuse. So any excuses that you have for not doing the good that you know you should be doing, any mental gymnastics that you have to create from doing the right thing, you need to call out that excuse. Don't accept your own excuses for doing what you're supposed to be doing, what you're responsible for. Okay, number two is to set small goals. Set small goals. Okay, 
So here it is, that when you decide to show up, when you decide, okay, I'm going to take some more energy, right? For some of you, this is going to be a little bit difficult. Life will feel overwhelming because you're going to see all the weeds that are in your life. You're going to see all the thorns that are in your life. Everything seems to be broken down. Like, I can't handle it. So you just got to start small, all right? Start with a few small goals. Create a routine of what chores or responsibilities that you can take on. And don't be hard on yourself if you fail, all right? Number three is set priorities. Set priorities. Every single one of us in different areas of our lives, there's just one. You can always identify at least one particular priority. You need to think about whether it's at school, uh, whether it's at work, whether it's in relationship, think about that one priority that's there. Now, one of my seminary professors, I remember that he put it this way. He says, when it comes to being a pastor, he says, you got to remember this. He says, remember to pay the rent. That's what his word was, his phrase was for your priority as a pastor. He says, you've got to remember to pay the rent. There's, he was saying that there's so many things that you do as a pastor. You have to teach, right? Uh, you have to disciple, you have to plan, you have to vision, you have to organize, you have to counsel, you do funerals, you do weddings, you do premarital counseling, you do counseling, marriage counseling, you do arbitration, you do reconciliation. Look, you can do all of those different things that you do as a pastor. You can do those well, right? But if you are not ready to preach on Sunday, if you're not prepared, then you might be out of a job. Because Sunday, no matter what, when you hire a pastor, no matter what, like the main thing that people are looking for is like, is he prepared? Does he do a study? Can he preach on Sunday? Is he, is he at least prepared, right? You've got to do what people hired you to do. You've got to pay the rent. You've got to earn your keep. And it was just a great way just to help me remind me throughout the week of what is my priority? What is my priority? Well, what's your priority at work? What's your priority at school? What's your priority in your marriage? What's your priority in your relationship to God? Is even your relationship with God a priority? What is the one thing that you are neglecting that needs to be done, that you personally are responsible for? What is the one priority with your husband, with your wife, that you are neglecting? What's the one priority at school that you are procrastinating? There was a, a what is the priority of your relationship with God? We remember this one night, uh, the night of Jesus' betrayal. He was at the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane with his, his disciples, and then he pulled aside his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me a little bit further into the garden, and it's because this is the night of his betrayal. This is the night where really the cross and, and our lives and our souls were won on his decision to receive the Father's will of whether or not he was going to go to the cross. And in such anguish of, of that moment, he calls, he, he, Jesus did what we would all do. Say, hey, if I could get a couple of guys to come and pray with me, you know, if I could just have the comfort of a couple of friends just to be with me. And remember what he says to his friends, to Peter, James, John? He says, would you come with me and watch and pray? Can you just kind of watch out for me? Can you just pray for me, just for a little while, while I'm going to go over here, I'm going to pray too, because this is the most difficult moment in my life. This is something that we'd all do. 
And then he comes back an hour later, right? And he finds them falling asleep. Falling asleep. What is God? What is God calling you to do? What is God asking of you to do in this moment? Pay the rent. Turn to your neighbor real quick and just say, pay the rent. Pay the rent. Tell him to pay the rent. All right. Okay, number four. Number four is mind your own business. Mind your own business and own your life. Mind your own business and own your life. Proverbs 26.16 says this. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. What, what does that mean? It means this, is that real sloths, okay, and again, this is, this is probably a, a person who's, who's been stuck in, in this cycle for probably years, probably years. And, and if, if, if this is you, then you, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Real sloths, they have a contempt. There's a certain disdain they have for people who work hard. There's a certain contempt they have for people, they have for people who are enjoying the, the labors of their success. Uh, what they do is they look people who work hard, and they say, man, those people are so stupid. Like, why are you working so hard? You're just killing yourself. For what? Your health is really bad. For what? Right? You can't take it to heaven. Right? They, they look at people who are pursuing personal goals, personal passions, maybe things that they're just trying to do to better themselves. And they say, they just look at them and judge them and say, why are you putting all that stress on your life? Why don't you just take it more easy? Just be happy. You have all this anxiety and stress because you're trying to work so hard pursuing something. What if you don't make it? What if it comes to nothing? Then, you know, that was like a waste of time. And they could even look at people in the church. They could be looking at people who are serving in the church and say, why are you serving so hard? Why are you, like, giving so much time to God? Why are you doing that? You're, like, stressing yourself out. Why are you doing all that? doesn't mean anything. I mean, you know, God's still going to love you. You're still going to get to heaven, right? You're still going to get a little, little crown, right? And they become very judgy to the point, and they point fingers at people, and they're saying, you're not resting. You're not spending enough time doing this, or you're not spending time with your family, or you need to take life less seriously. They are very, very judgy. And so sloths, what you need to do is you need to stop observing the lives of others, because at the root of when you're in this place of sloth is basically you have put more value on another person's life on your own. That's the reason you're angry. That's the reason you're so judgy. Because you look at other people and you actually think that their life and what they're doing has more value than your own. And what sloths need to do is learn to recognize your own essential value. That you have something worth contributing through your gifts and through your talents and through your vocation, through your passions and through the way that God created you. You have to stop, mind, stop, you have to mind your own business and own, begin to own the God-giftedness, the creativity that he has given to you. And sloths, what time is, what, what they do is they mistake hard work for being a busybody. They mistake hard work for being a busybody. They look at other people and say, you're just so stressed out trying to make money, trying to make a name for themselves, and they're all controlled by the man. Sloths, they don't understand, right, that work, hard work, is also the telltale sign of a person who's on mission, a person who has 
purpose in their life, a person who is doing something for the goodness and for the glory of God, God-given vocation and inspiration and energy for life. And, and what happens sometimes, what sloths fail to, to recognize, they fail to experience, is that they see their energy level always in terms of, like, I don't have enough. I'm too tired. <clears throat> I don't have enough energy. They, they look at their energy in, always in terms of scarcity. It's a limited quantity. I must save it. Because they've never experienced something in their life before that produces energy. They've never experienced God in a way where it inspires and infuses energy. Uh, you know, just example, we, we've probably all been in that place, for example, where let's say you come home from exhausted, you come home from school, and you feel like you have no emotional energy left. Your words are spent, your energy is spent, you want, don't want to do any chores that you know you need to do, you don't want to engage your kids or your wife or whoever it might be that you know you need to engage, right? You're just done for the, for the day. But then you get a phone call, I don't know, you get a text, right? And it's your buddy, and it says, dude, I've got two tickets to the Seahawks game tonight. You want to go, right? And then what happens next is a miracle, right? Strength and, and energy and vitality, and it all swarms back into your soul. You're like the Incredible Hulk, right? Where did all this energy come from, right? See, the, the problem with us, it's we don't have an energy problem. You don't have an energy problem. The problem is owning your life. The problem is that you don't realize the amazing, the beautiful, the imaginative, the creative, the innovative things that God is calling you to. That's why I'm telling you, two weeks in Cabo is not going to fix it. A whole month in Hawaii is not going to fix it. If you are not connected to the inspiring, resurrected life that God is calling you to, you will always be tired. You will always be tired. There's nothing to get up for. There's not an energy issue that you're dealing with. You have plenty of energy. It's your connectedness and the belief that God has called you to something amazing that inspires and creates energy rather than depletes it. All right? The last one is to find true Sabbath. So I don't want you to go through this thinking that, man, Roy's just saying just work hard. Work, 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 work. That's all you do, right? That's not it. You do need rest. We need to find our rest. God rested on the seventh day. Jesus had times of solitude, silence, extended silence, solitude, and rest. Here's the thing. I don't know about you, okay, but you got to find out things that work for you and things that don't. And I'll just tell you a couple things that don't work for me. I, I doubt they work for you either. But I don't think binge watching, which a lot of people do, I don't think that, that, makes, that makes people... That rejuvenates people, right? I doubt it. I doubt it. Video games, like prolonged video games, probably not really rejuvenating. The, the next day, you don't, again, you don't feel better about yourself. Daydreaming, right? These things, find things that truly rejuvenate you, that truly feed your soul. I know for me, like bike riding, that's a big one, right? So thankful for, for my bike, right? That's a big one for me. And that's, I'm expending energy the whole time. And when I get home, I'm just like, I'm, I'm even more tired, right? But there's something, though, in my soul that's rejuvenated. So you need to find things in your life that rejuvenate your soul, right? 
to take true Sabbath. You need to set aside some time, a day or a time. You need to figure out how to balance your life so that there is moments, there are times of true Sabbath rest. God did it, so he needs it. We need to do it as well. By the way, all right, these five things that I've listed are Scripture's antidote to sloth. And in Proverbs, they're stunned up in this one word, diligence. Diligence, okay? Just write that word down, diligence. So again, the most concentration of Scripture's teaching on sloth is in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs also is the most concentrated antidote to sloth, and that is diligence. So there's, as, there's probably about three, uh, you know, there's probably about three times as many verses on diligence as there are, as there is on sloth. That is the antidote. So something really easy and really practical, a really small step that you can take, right, is you just go to any, go to online, go to Bible Get, Gateway or something like that and search in the book of Proverbs. Just search the words diligence and study and memorize those passages. And those passages, I guarantee you, they will wake you up. They'll wake you up. That's what sloth need to do. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. But a little more diligence, a little more attention, a little more priority, just a little more work. And I'm just telling you, when you do that over years, I'm just telling you, you begin to live into an, an energy into a work that you're doing, into vision, into impact in this life that you never thought imaginable for you. And I just don't want anyone, I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want anyone to miss out on the life and the work and the mission that is so energizing that God has for every single one of us. Don't fall into this sin. Take it seriously. You can miss your destiny. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this good, good, good morning uh, that brings us all together as we start um, off this series and talk about this particular sin. And we thank you, Father, that uh, just like in the first week and in, in, in the woman who was caught in adultery, that it's not in this moment, it's not about condemnation. It's about your word that says, sin no more. It's this amazing, amazing call to freedom. And the only reason that we can have freedom from our sin is because of Jesus Christ, is because of the resurrected and free life of Jesus that lives bodily, like physically, like it's, it's there spiritually in every single one of us. And those who have decided uh, to follow you. So I pray, Father, that today that as we're Hearing about this, and some of us are being very, uh, are very aligned and very synced up with these particular descriptions of what sloth is and what sloth does in our lives. And I know that this taking that always that first step is, is really always the hardest. It's just that desire again. It's saying that it's that belief again. It's that risk again that maybe things, you know, if I do this, things aren't going to really turn out as good as I think they are. Uh, you know, someone's just trying to manipulate me, whatever it is. But I pray, Father, that taking all these excuses aside, and I pray that your spirit would just blow away any excuses that are here, and that 
we would all seek to take one step, one first step that takes a little bit of energy, takes a little bit of risk, that kind of pushes against the boundary of our need for ease and need for comfort, we'd blow that aside and say, I am going to commit to whatever it is in this moment. Father, pray your spirit would speak to whatever it is that priority is at work for someone here, whatever it is that priority is at school for someone here, whatever it is that priority in their marriage is for someone here. For someone, it's, it's their priority with their, their son or their daughter where they have not maintained that relationship. For someone, it's that area of where there's just they neglected reconciliation. And that they would take that step to move, that hard work to begin that reconciliation process. Father, whatever it is here for any single one of us, your spirit would give conviction to just take that one step of work, that one step of trust, that one step of risk to begin to do and take responsibility for the things that are important that you have given for us to do. And we know that we can sin no more because it is your spirit in us that gives us the power to do that. Lead us on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Let's all stand. Let's sing together. Thank you.